And so, you know, I, as I really reflected in the weeks that I was away and asked God to speak to my heart as to what he would want me to say and what he would want me to preach, the overarching theme that came back to me, even within uh, the Sermon on the Mount, was the fact that it seems to me that the church universal is now surrounded by doubt, worry, fear, and anxiety. Christians, Christians all over the world, I'm not speaking about pagans, I'm speaking about Christians. Christians who are basically besotted by fear and anxiety. We have people even within this church that can't leave their home. They're stuck in their house. They're afraid to leave their home. Uh, and, and the point of it is, what does Jesus say about having that kind of fear? Is that how God wants us to live? What are the words of Christ? Uh, because my words are irrelevant. You know, I'm not a coach to get up here and just pump you up. But rather, I want to give you the words of Christ because that's what counts. What did Jesus say as it relates to how we approach fear and anxiety? What is the impression that we are to give to the world as to what differentiates us from them? And let me start by saying this does not apply to people that have a physical deficit that, requ that requires some pharmacological help, but rather it relates to people who just have allowed that, that aspect of life to overwhelm them. And so it's normal in this time, it's normal in this world to suffer from some worry and anxiety. That is normal. It would be, frankly, abnormal if you didn't have some worry and anxiety. Uh, and whether it's about your family or about your health or about your relationships, uh, to some extent, all of us, you see, all of us face some worrisome issues. However, God does not want you to become paralyzed by these issues. He does not want you to be overrun by these issues. He does not want you to become obsessed day after day, hour after hour about these issues. Uh, and what happens is he's already spoken to you about not being uh, distracted with your possessions. He's already spoken to you about not having divided loyalties. He's already spoken to you about seeking righteousness and being meek and being humble in every possible way. And so now he will address the fact that he recognizes that your life can become a distraction and ruinous to your walk with God if you become consumed with fear, worry, and anxiety. Now here we are reminded by Christ that really it is the plan of Satan to take you out of following Jesus and to wreck your Christian walk. Make no mistake about this. When these thoughts get into your mind, when you become so consumed with these issues in life, whether it's your health or your finances or your relationships, it's Satan that does that. He works on you. He drills it into you. Uh, and, and Jesus recognizes that we are weak and we are subject to that. And that is why he has given us these words 
uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this will become part of a two-week sermon series this week and next week. And I would suggest that there are people that you know in your family and friends, even non-Christians, that you give them this message. Because here's the point. What I'm saying to you today is God's promise to you as Christians. He promises this as Christians. He promises to take worry and fear and anxiety as an obsession out of your life. He doesn't promise that to the world, but he promises that to us. And that is why now Jesus speaks on this critically important issue as it affects the norms of the kingdom of God. It's all about us walking with God displaying for the world what separates us from God, from the world. Can we show the world that we're different when we're locked up in our house? Can we show the world that we're different when we're overcome and obsessed with issues about our health and our, our family and our finances? Or instead, do we show the world that we're different when we say, I walk with you, Jesus. I walk with you. I know you have me covered. I know that you hold me. I know that you promised to be with me. And so Jesus takes nothing for granted uh, in this passage. He provides really us today with the arguments and gives us reasons, you see, reasons to combat these issues. He puts it uh, really to our common sense. That's what Jesus is doing here. He speaks to our common sense. And so if you look on the board, you're going to see Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Uh, And that's something that took place while I was away. We now have screenshots. How about that? Thank you, boys. Thank you very much. And so here's what Jesus says there. And he begins it by saying, Therefore I say unto you, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Uh, Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow, Jesus. You don't hold back, do you? When Jesus speaks, the poignancy of the words resonates over the centuries. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. That's what you need to reflect today as you leave this church. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. In this teaching, Jesus uses the particular expression, take no thought. Uh, and this phrase has been grossly misunderstood by theologians and Bible teachers. Jesus never meant to tell us that we are to act as if we were lobotomized. That's not what he meant. What he meant, really, a better translation is do not worry about your life. Do not be obsessed about your life. God's got you covered. When you gave him your heart and he attached you to the Son of God, he sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ, and he guarantees that he will be with you forever. That's the promise. And so a good illustration of this principle about being obsessed about the things of this world can be found in the story of uh, Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And in that story, Jesus visits their home. You know, he was their best friend. Uh, and during that visit, uh, Martha is running all over the house trying to get things ready, worrying about what she's going to feed Jesus, how the place looks. Uh, meanwhile, Mary is seated at Jesus' feet, listening effectively to God speak to her. Uh, and so Jesus rebukes Mary, excuse me, Martha. He rebukes her, uh, and he says to her, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. You see, God doesn't want you to be troubled about many things. Rather, he wants you to focus on the main event. The main event is Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what you're called to do. Focus on Jesus. Don't be focused about all these other ancillary issues that drag you down and distract you. Clearly, Martha was distracted. On the other hand, Mary understood exactly what God wanted from her, and she was not distracted. What our Lord is warning about there is the danger of distraction from anxiety, worry, and obsession. Remember this, the danger of distraction. You cannot have divided loyalties. He's already preached to us about that. So if you want to serve God, if you want to walk with Jesus, you got to keep your eye on Jesus. You can't be distracted about all these other ancillary issues that will burden you and will ruin you when, in fact, God has you covered. Now, let me make this crystal clear as much as I can. Jesus is not saying that we should not think about these things at all. He recognizes we live in a world, we have to take care of issues, we have to take care of family relationships, we have to take care of our health. He's provided doctors for us and given us things that will aid our health. He understands that. We take care of this. But then, after we take care of them, we don't go back and ruminate hour after hour after hour. We don't then lock ourselves up in a house because we're afraid to go out in the world. That's not how God wants us to be. Uh, and Jesus has used the paradigm of the birds in the air uh, and how God cares for them. And I think that's such a beautiful example. Uh, it, it is not true to say that the birds can just perch on a branch, just sit there on a branch, and God brings the food and lays it in their mouths. Oh, that's not what happens. God allows them to leave the branch and go and find the food. He makes the food available for them, but the birds must leave the branch. So let's understand something. God doesn't say you become a hermit. He doesn't say that you don't go out and do what you have to do to provide for your family. Yes, 
You do. That's something that he expects us to do. Rather, the birds work diligently uh, and, and wait mechanically to go out and find the food. Uh, and so this is a lesson to us. We cannot sit back passively and just wait upon God and do nothing uh, and think that Jesus is just going to slide everything towards us. Jesus never condemned the farmers for plowing, or for sowing, or gathering in the barns. He never did that. Jesus never condemns any of this activity because you see it is the will of God that man must work by the sweat of his brow. And so let's understand something. When I say you shouldn't be obsessed, it doesn't mean you shouldn't work. Yes, you should work. God expects you to work. The Apostle Paul put it well in his second letter to the Thessalonians where he says that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. Paul didn't mince any words either, did he? The fundamental principle governing our Christian life is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Quote, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's a governing principle in our life as well as Christians. You don't work? You don't think you want to work? Well, you have a responsibility to work. You don't work, you won't eat. Uh, and so God is saying that to you, yes, you have to work. Yes, you have to be concerned about those issues. Yes, you have to be diligent. Yes, you have to be providing for your family. Yes, you have to care for your family. But you don't become overburdened and obsessed hour after hour after hour. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my job? God promises to take care of you. Just as he takes your spirit and gives you salvation for eternity. And so the danger for us who have responsibilities caring for others is that we can spend all of our lives weighed down in these other issues, weighed down and obsessed. We become enslaved by them. And this is the issue that the Lord is concerned about. Enslavement, obsession, distraction from God himself in our walk. And so he's so concerned about this that he repeats the warning three separate times. And so Jesus, you see, is dealing with our life, our current existence, and being in the body that God gave you. Yes, God gave you your body with all its infirmities, with all its weaknesses, with all its talents, with all its strength. He gave you that body. And so Jesus is telling us here, don't be anxious about your body. Don't be anxious about your life or the things that you think are necessary for your support. Uh, and the thing about Jesus, it doesn't just relate to some aspect of our life. It re remains in, and applies to the entire panoply of your life in every possible way. It takes in the whole of your life, our health, our strength, our success, and yes, even our future. All of it. All of it. And having given us this principle, Jesus, in effect, is telling us, really, to use your mind and think about your life right now. Think about it. In effect, in effect, he's saying, how did you get it? Who gave you your life? Who gave you life itself? Where did it come from? Uh, the answer is that your life is a gift of God. You are where you are today 
with the family that you have, uh, in the relationships you have, that God gave it to you as a gift. Man does not create life, you see. Man doesn't create life. Only God does that. And so the very fact that we are all alive at this very moment is because God willed it. Don't you think that if God willed that we were not alive at this moment, that we wouldn't be? We each sit here, take every breath that we take, because it is within the very will of God that we breathe those breaths at this particular time. And so if we recognize, you see, if we recognize that life is totally, rather, totally a gift of God himself, why would we think suddenly that he would not care for us, that he would not love us, that he would not be interested in lifting us up? Uh, and so why should we be anxious about life uh, itself when we recognize it's a gift of God? He gave it to you. And so here you are, even as we recognize it's a gift, yet we're anxious, yet we're fearful. And so we must recognize that God has plans for you. He has plans for you from the moment that you were created. He has designed you to advance the kingdom of God in every day of your life. And you know, it's funny, my father used to have an expression that, that I would laugh about, but it's really true. He would say, you know what I learned uh, as a Christian? I said, what's that? If you were born to be shot, you'll never be hung. Okay, Dad, I'll mark that down, all right? Uh, meaning God has pre-designated what your life is going to be. Do you think by worrying you're going to be able to get God to say, all right, I'll give you a couple more days, a couple more months, a couple more years? You know, the Bible has is, is got examples where, where certain people begged for more life. Hezekiah did, all right? God gave him 15 years, and those were the worst 15 years of his life. He dragged Israel down through sin. No, our prayer should be, God, not one day less, not one day more. I walk with you. I walk with you, really. You know, and that's why when people said to me when, I, when I, we started this church and God called us, they said to me, well, well, you're 70 years old when you started this. Uh, how long are you going to do this? What are you thinking about retirement? Retirement? There's no such thing as retirement when you're called to do things by God. God doesn't believe in retirement. You know, and I had the examples in my own life. My grandfather was a pastor, a missionary. He came back from Europe on his last mission, preached, and two weeks later he died. He was 80 years old, preaching at 80. My father uh, led that church for 55 years from the pulpit. In a wheelchair at the age of 84, he preached his last sermon, and nine days later he, he was called home. Here's the point. We walk until God tells us it's over. All right? We don't obsess. Lord, am I going to get sick? Am I going to fail? Am I going to fall down? No. Instead, we say, Lord, I walk with you. You see me. You hold me. You lift me up. I'm with you, God. Whatever you have for me, I will follow you. I will be with you in so many ways. And here's the thing. This church has its own testimony about listening to the will of God. You know what it was like in the spring when we thought we found our permanent home. 
You understood that we, we had prayed about it and God looked like he had opened the doors and we found the Southwest Florida Event Center. It would seat 800 seats. It looked like a perfect church. And then I went to all of you and said, we need to raise $5 million in order to buy it if it's the will of God. And then each of you stepped up and within five weeks, we raised $5 million by the will of God. And then God said, no. And the curtain came down. And an interloper refused to allow us to use it as a church. Now, do we then fall on our face and say, you've abandoned me, Lord? You have failed me? Oh, my God, what is going to happen to our church? No, we don't. Yes, we're momentarily disturbed. But we pick ourselves up because we recognize what the will of God is. And if we ask for the will of God in our lives, that means we accept the will of God for the good, and may I say, even the bad. You understand? Even the bad. But we bow to the continuing will of God. So even in this testimony that we have as a church, uh, even as we did it, we bowed and accepted his will. We didn't obsess and worry about the church. I'm not worried about this church. I'm not worried about where we're going. You know why? It's his church. It's not my church. All right? And that's the way you should all feel. We're part of the church of God. This is his church. And when he's ready to give us a permanent home, he'll give it to us. In the meantime, we will be where he wants us to be. In the meantime, we love each other and affirm each other. So we can be certain, see, we can be certain that God has a plan an individualized plan for all of our lives. And it will be carried out because you have given your heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, so never be anxious, never be worried, never be fearful uh, during these difficult times or conditions. Never be difficult even about approaching death. And let me say this, that when you face the most fearful times, where you can legitimately be fearful. If Jesus is in the back of your boat, then you're not afraid. You understand? When he was in the back of the boat and the waves were about to overwhelm that boat, he stood up and still, stilled the waves. That's the lesson for us in so many ways. Uh, so if we fully commit ourselves, and this is the lesson, fully committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and God, then we will understand the control he has in his life, and these fears will become dissipated. That's the point. We turn ourselves over. Lord, I will walk where you want me to walk. I will speak what you want me to speak. I will go where you want me to go, and I will live my life until you call me home, and I will walk within your will and your light. And when you make that promise every day from the moment you get out of bed to the moment that you get to back to bed, you will find that fear and anxiety will be removed from your life. This is what you have to do. You have to think about it and recognize these things. It requires some responsibility on our part at all as, as well. This is the great principle that Jesus lays down uh, based upon the sovereignty of God. Uh, that God is the ruler of the universe. Uh, and we are known to him one by one. And there is a personal relationship. This is key. God knows you. He knows your name. 
He saw you from the moment you were created. He holds you in his hand, and he recognizes that you have a personal relationship. You see, this is what cemented the faith of all of those great patriarchs found in the, the faith chapter of Hebrews 11. Quite often, they did not understand. They didn't understand uh, what was happening to them, but they said God knows and God undertakes. Uh, they had this ultimate confidence that he who had called them would protect them, would be with them, and open the doors that they needed to have, and he would never forsake them. I want you to think about Abraham. What do you think it was like for Abraham as he sits in modern-day Iraq in the Ur of the Chaldees, and suddenly he hears a voice from God telling him, Abraham, get up and go out into the desert. I'm going to call you to be the leader of a great people. And he gets up and he walks out. You understand? Did he sit there and make a list of the what ifs? Wait a minute. What, is, what are we going to do about water? What are we going to do about food? Uh, what are we going to do about medical care? Uh, what about my family I'm leaving behind? I'm not going to see them. What's going to happen to those relationships? I've been here my whole... No, he doesn't say any of that. He recognized that the call of God was on him. He got up and walked out, and the rest is history, as he became the leader of the Jewish people and eventually would be within the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so they recognized that God would take care of them and he would receive them into heaven even as they didn't understand day to day exactly how life would be. And so think about that. Think about Abraham as you, as you, you go through your life and go through these issues. David himself, King David himself, suffered also in the same way. Look at Psalm 34. Verses 4 to 6 on the board. And you see David. Now, let's understand something. David had the right to be fearful. Because even though he was anointed at the age of 16 to be the future king of Israel, he would have to wait 17 years before he would resume that title. 17 years. And during that time, Saul would pursue him daily to kill him, to kill him. And so David is fleeing for his life for 17 years. Look what he says here in Psalm 34, verses 4 to 6. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. You understand? We reach out to the Lord. So when you begin to be fearful, when you begin to have worries or have, begin to have anxiety, that's the time you reach out to God. You pray to the Lord, and he will hear you. He will promise to hear you. And when you hear him, your face will become radiant because those fears will be dissipated. And so we understand that. That's how Jesus wants us to live. And so we need to see these examples. They need to be burnished in our heart. And so if you really need more proof than I've already given you in this sermon, uh, take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 23. This is the, the, the real Lord's Prayer. John, chapter 17, is where Jesus effectively prays to God for us. Prays to God about the church. Prays to God about the future of what will happen in this world. He's praying 
to God for you. And there it says in verse 23, Lord, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Think about that. My head almost explodes when I reflect on what he just said. Lord, let them understand. Let them understand that you have loved them just as you've loved me. God, the creative Father, loving you in the same way that he loved Jesus Christ. And you're worried about today and you're worried about tomorrow knowing that he's praying for you and he loves you and he cares for you and he will not abandon you. Look, it's not a promise for the world. It's a promise for you because you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. Let's understand that. And so he knows your name. He knows that he died for you. And here he says that God loves us in the same way, in the same manner that he loved Jesus Christ. This is an extraordinary statement by Jesus about who God is. And so if you have any questions in your life about fearfulness and about worry and about anxiety, you need to reflect on this. You need to go back and read this verse. Does it con even seem conceivable, frankly, that if it's just so and if it is true and if Jesus says it, I believe it, and it comes from the mouth of our Lord, that God would not care for you or that he would abandon you or leave you outside on the curb or let you suffer something in your health or your body that was not within his perfect will. And that's, that's, what, that's the point you need to reflect on as you leave church today. Uh, you see, you know that because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a part of the family of God. You are now the brother of Jesus. You are now attached to the body of Christ. You are now seen through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ as holy and righteous because Jesus died for you on the cross. Can I get an amen? This is how we must live every single day of your life. Now look, I understand that there's extraordinary events that come your way. I understand that sometimes things just jump up and grab you and you're not expecting it. But I'm giving you lessons to live the rest of your life. Every day of your life. When you get out of bed in the morning, these are the mindsets that you need to have. Uh, and this must be our continuing worldview. That's what I said. This is your worldview. This is what it means to become a Christian. If we live like this, if we live like this, uh, the moment that we do so, care, worry, fearfulness, and anxiety will leave you. Yes, you might have a momentary concern, but you will not become obsessed. And so as a, as a child of the king, and that's who you are, you're a child of the king. And as you walk with Jesus Christ every day of your life for the rest of your life, you have that promise that he will be there with you. He will not abandon with you. He will be with you in peace and serenity for the rest of your life. You have that promise. Jesus paid for it on the cross. 
And the closing words that I have for you in this regard is this. Remember this. God is not your co-pilot. You got that? Because if God's your co-pilot, I'm not getting on your plane. God is your pilot. He's in charge of every aspect of your life. From the beginning of time when you were born to the day you take your last breath, God is with you. He will not abandon you. He loves you. He cares for you. Take those overwhelming burdens and worries and put them aside and say, Lord, I give them to you. I'm not going to let them distract me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus, until the day you call me home. Amen, church? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today, Father. I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, and I thank you for Christ's wisdom in this area, Lord, because so many of us can be overburdened and overwhelmed. So many of us, Jesus, right now in this world are locked up in our houses. What kind of abundant life is that, Jesus? You promised us an abundant life. But we can't have that kind of life if worries and fears and anxieties overwhelm us and bury us. Lord, I ask you today, anoint our minds, anoint our spirits. Let us walk in strength and renewed commitment to you, recognizing what you did for us, Lord, as we seek to serve you and demonstrate to a lost world what it means to be a Christian. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.